Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This is the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Promman and Scott Wheeler for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. Fun show on tap today, uh, but I want to start it, guys, with some talk on, on the rookies, which... You know, I guess we, we left off there too, but we're getting close to an important moment on the NHL calendar here, right around this 10-game mark where teams have to usually make some decisions on whether they're going to keep a guy around for a little bit longer at least uh, or send him back to junior. It seems that like, though, most of the names of intrigue, we're talking your Bedard, Fantilli, Leo Carlson, we're talking the breakout of uh, Matt Poitra, we're talking Kevin Korchinski. It seems like there's really not that much of a decision to be made here. It seems like all of these guys are, are clearing that bar. Right. The only one who really went back was Fraser Minton from Toronto, who played a couple of games, and then they kind of healthy scratched him and sent him back. Uh, but it does seem like for a lot of these rookies, uh, the decision is not the nine-game mark on whether the entry-level deal will begin uh, this season, but it's more around the 40-game mark, which – uh, officially tolls one of their seven years of free agency. And most NHL teams consider the second deadline the most significant of the two. But I definitely think, I mean, on Bedard and Leo Carlson and Adam Fantilli, I'm not expecting them to, to be sent back to a non-NHL team anytime soon. But I think when it comes to Kevin Korczynski, Matt Poitra, and Zach Benson, uh, who all have World Junior eligibility, I think they are the most fascinating to watch. Benson notably has the injury. He's actually not at the nine-game mark yet. That one will be interesting to watch. He's played six games out week to week with a lower body injury that that apparently is an uh, aggravation of an earlier injury. Um, so that one's going to be interesting. But it it is uh, 
it does seem to be the case that their play so far has has warranted keeping them around. Scott, I want to go to you here on this. I, I think Quatra has been one of the biggest stories because of mm-hmm. what Boston lost. Quatra steps in and they have not missed a beat. What are you seeing out of this kid that's allowed that to happen? Yeah, it's been fun to watch him because he's just, he's always been a really hardworking kid. Teams in his draft year really like the sort of pro quality to his game and the style of play piece. And then the, the, the other tools have just come along and progressed nicely. And he's got decent skill and he can pass the puck and he can chip in on second power play and all of that. Uh, and then on top of that, Pavel Zaka, who I think they'd kind of penciled in to be one of those top two centers in the absence of Krejci and Bergeron, hasn't played well. And they've had to move Zaka to the wing to, to sort of facilitate getting him going. So all of a sudden, he's not just a piece of the puzzle. They need him. I know he's only playing 15, 16 minutes a night, but he's commonly been centering one of their top two lines. And if they don't feel like Zaka can be a a sort of middleman on one of those top two lines and they like him better on the wing, then he, 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 in terms of the world junior conversation, he's in a, a very sort of weird spot because a, Poitra has never really had a ton of Hockey Canada involvement, and I'm sure that he would love to have that. A lot of these kids, because of the pandemic and where they fell in the age bracket, they they got shafted, right? Like they didn't get uh, didn't get to play at U18 Worlds and those kinds of things, right? So uh, he's an interesting one that way. Where this is his last year of eligibility for the World Juniors, could Boston be established enough in the playoff picture by the time mid December rolls around, where they can send him there and then still have him back after the break and have it not really hurt them. I think that's an interesting conversation with Poitra, uh, just because I'm sure he'd, he'd like to play at the World Juniors. I'm sure he'd like to get that experience uh, and could be a, a big part of a, a, a fairly deep Team Canada up front. So uh, that, if anything, is the only thing that's interesting. I think on his play, he looks like he belongs on that team. He looks like he's going to be a top 12 forward for that team all year long. Looks like they're going to need him. The question is really just going to be, and I'm sure they'll have this with him closer to is, do you want to go and can we afford to lose you for three weeks to a month, which is really what what we're talking about. If he goes to selection camp, which sometimes players skip selection camp and just go directly to Sweden in this case. Um, but if, if he's at selection camp, it's December 10th to January 6th. January 6th is the closing of the World Juniors. That's a month away from the Bruins. So that's the consideration for them more than whether or not he belongs on the Bruins. I think he's shown that he's a, a, a an NHL piece for them. I'm not sure he's going to be at the World Juniors too. Just and yeah, I you know, I want to kind of see how he progresses over the course of the season though also. Like, you know, it's, it was a great opening few weeks, but we'll see how he does through November and through December. Obviously, you know, the hockey sense and the and the skill and the competitiveness has stood out so far at the NHL level, but uh, we'll see if he can physically keep it up. Uh, but the role he fills on that team is a, is a really important role, obviously, as a, as a top six center currently. Um, and that is, you know, there's two things about that division. I know Boston's off to a great start this season, but that's an extremely competitive division and conference. Um, and if you decide for whatever reason you want to stop leaning on this kid so heavily – that's not really a role that's easy to fill externally. The reason he's in that role is there was no other internal solution. And they kind of need to, they need him right now to cut, to win games. Uh, so, you know, for all those reasons, if he keeps this up through the, through the, over the next month, I, I don't think they'll even entertain the conversation with Hockey Canada. How about Korczynski? Because he he's a guy, you know, there's been some highlight moments. There was a pass the other night that certainly made the rounds. 
But that team is not in the same spot as the Bruins are. And so while Korchinski may be playing a real role for them, it, there's a little more of a to what end and, and what benefits Kevin Korchinski more to that conversation. I agree with that. And I think, you know, outside of those, you know, the high, high end picks, you know, the top three picks, whether it is Bedard, Fantilli Carlson, or a guy like Logan Cooley, I think you can argue Kevin Korchinski has been one of the most impressive rookies in the NHL so far this season. And he's playing a lot of minutes. Playing a lot of minutes in part because, as you said, there are not. It's an extremely young team. It's not a good team, but he's had some very positive moments, and his skating is clearly NHL caliber. Uh, but I tend to, you know, I tend to agree. I would like to see him in an environment where his team actually has the puck for most of the game. I'd like to see him in an environment where he is the go-to guy uh, among the the best players in his age group. Uh, so we'll see what Chicago decides. Uh, but I don't expect they will be anywhere close to a playoff race this season. And uh, I do think, you know, it might benefit Kevin to get away from that for a month, month and a half to just breathe and not, and and not, and get away from the physical demands of the NHL. This team Canada is in an interesting sort of predicament too, where the number of returnees could potentially just come down to Kevin Kurczynski, Owen Beck, and obviously Shane Wright, who's a huge, huge, huge wild card having, participated in multiple world juniors already um so if he goes back like he's 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 the presumptive number one d on that team he's the driver of the bus on a, on a back end that also looks like it's going to be pretty strong for team canada this year so that could be a a huge 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 opportunity for him to just sort of continue to build on some momentum that he's had to start the year i i thought in in whenever i turned on chicago i thought he's been uh, looked every bit the part of a twenty-minute-a-night defenseman. I went to that game uh, when he when they came through Toronto, and he was excellent that night. Like he just he looks like an NHLer, but yeah, I, th- I think to Corey's point, it's it's about the setting, and and you get to go and potentially win a gold medal, and and sort of be the guy for a change. He very much wasn't the guy in his first World Juniors last year. He was kind of a six seventh D on that team, was playing a pretty pretty limited role. So. Uh, this would be a, a bit of a role reversal coming back as a returnee for him. And he's another guy who doesn't have to go, like he doesn't need to go to the selection camp in Oakville on December 10th, right? Like he, he could report on Christmas Eve. When Benson does get healthy, what would you do with him if you're Buffalo? Well, because of the injury, uh, they will have some leeway to first make a conditioning assignment with him to Rochester so they can mm-hmm. push that decision off by a couple of weeks. And then they will have a, you know another, another week to get him to that nine game mark. And then I think the biggest question is what happens with Jack Quinn in regards to Benson because Buffalo has a lot of great wingers. And I I think if they're fully healthy, I'm not sure if there's a spot for Benson or a spot where they need to play him essentially right now. But it's very possible there will be another injury in their forward group between now and when Quinn comes back. So maybe the decision isn't – it makes it a little bit harder then – if they have reasonable health, uh, I would probably, you know, keep him around as long as possible, then send him to the World Junior Camp and then back to WHL, presuming he's going to get traded at some point uh, to a contender uh, and then has a deep run. And then the following uh, season, you hope he's a full timer in the NHL. Uh, I ha- I've seen really good flashes from Benson in the NHL so far. But I'm not sure he's moving the needle for a team that has significant playoff aspirations this season. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd concur on on all of that. He's he's the most likely of those three to go back. It just feels like you, you, you take the conditioning stint in the NHL, get him back up to speed, 
if he plays well in the conditioning stint, you bring him back up and, and sort of inch closer to that nine, 10 game mark. And then you've got a decision to make that I think likely results in him going to play for Canada at the world juniors as an 18 year old, which will probably make him one of the younger players on that team outside of a Macklin Celebrini type. Uh, and then sort of back to Wenatchee. Wenatchee likely trades him at the trade deadline to a, a team like a Moose Jaw where he could play with Braden Yeager and others from that, and Denton Matejchuk and others from that uh, that Team Canada team in a deep playoff run in the WHL. That seems like the most logical sort of outcome for him for me. And I guess that leaves us with one of the big ones. Uh, you alluded to it earlier, Scott. Uh, Shane Wright, uh, as a re- two-time returnee here, is is a factor in this conversation as well. Uh, so far this season, he's obviously playing in Coachella Valley, point per game there. I assume if he's if it's the the question is still AHL or World Junior, you still like World Junior there, even though he's done it before. Pause. I I, I don't know. Um, I I don't know that he. I don't know how up to it he would be. If you if you recall, he bailed out on the summer World Juniors in Edmonton too. So this could have been, had he played at those summer world juniors, this could have been his fourth, potentially his fourth world juniors already. So uh, I feel like just in talking to him and in knowing some of the people around him, like he's... It would would have been his fifth camp too, because he he got cut from the one during the COVID season. Yeah. Yeah. So I I don't know, just in talking to him and in talking to people, it, it seemed like he was very over playing in his age group sort of late last season in, uh, in the OHL. And like, he wasn't, uh, not that he w- didn't want to be there or that he had a bad attitude or anything, but he w- he wanted to turn pro and move on. It's been a long time at the OHL level for him because of exceptional status. It's been a long time playing junior junior hockey. Uh, I, I think he, he kind of views himself as a pro at this point, and I do wonder whether he would even be up for it and up for all of the, the media circus that would come with it. And he would likely be the captain on that team, or at least in the conversation. And it just, it's a, it's a big commitment for him to make when he's in the midst of a pro season and trying to take a step beyond what the world juniors are in theory in his career. And I guess there's less incentive when they won the gold medal. He was a very good player in the gold medal game last year. Like he, there's probably not that feeling. Of, I guess when I said that at first, my thought kind of was he didn't like tear up that tournament last year. Last year, the mm-hmm. story of the tournament was the Connor Bedard show, but he yeah. did have a very fitting, probably satisfying send off to that, that I guess probably could make it feel like a bookend. I guess the, the, my question would be, do you want to go back and dominate that tournament? But I guess if you're a point-per-game player in the AHL, maybe that's not the front-end thing in your mind. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, we are back. 
Scott has forsaken us for greener pastures, uh, but we're still here. We're going to talk about Corey's. Uh, I don't know if it's, I don't think it's your first list for 2024, but it's your most updated list for for the 2024 draft. And at the top, I don't think any surprise here still is is Macklin Celebrini um, off to a nice start at Boston University. My question though, Corey, is what's kind of the 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 gap here? Is it Celebrini by a bullet? Is there a horse race developing? Where where do things stand here? Well, Celebrini has done nothing between his play last season in the USHL and early on in college hockey to not be the number one guy. He's just looked outstanding at, at both levels. Obviously, the MVP of the USHL is a 16-year-old, which is unheard of. And then he goes to college hockey as, as a young 17-year-old. This is a guy who won't yeah. turn 18 until basically right around when the draft happens. And he's the number one center, big minutes guy for a very good team, uh, runs their power play, putting up huge offensive numbers, making impacts in games. Uh, you know, I he looks like a 17-year-old with his body type, but uh, he competes well. He's good enough defensively, already at the college level to go with the offense. Uh, you know, just an extremely impressive player. And if we're just talking about him, like I said, he's done nothing by himself to take him out of that conversation. But then you have these two other players that are having, I think, fantastic starts to the year too. You have, you know, as many has been following, Cole Eiserman with the NTDP, who, as we're recording this, has 18 goals in 12 games uh, and is just an electric offensive talent who has, like celebrating, done nothing to take him out of the conversation at the very top of the draft. And I think if you had them one pick, you have to at least entertain Eiserman's name. But the new name in this conversation has been Anton Salayev, uh, yeah. the defenseman playing with Torpedo in the KHL. Not just playing with Torpedo, helping Torpedo. This is a guy who's playing both power play and penalty kill minutes on a team that is fairly high in the KHL standings. He is also six foot seven. He also skates well. He is also very physical. And all those things combined uh, make for a very exciting prospect. You know, you're thinking of a taller, harder Simon Edmondson. You're thinking of maybe a slightly less skilled Owen Power at the same age. You know, it, whatever range of the draft you think he belongs at, it 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 is still very high, and uh, he is a premium pro prospect, or at least he looks like that. After the first few months of his season, he didn't look like this coming into the year. There were people I knew in Europe who thought he could be a, a top pick, a first round pick, maybe even a top 15, top 10 pick. I don't think anybody saw the lightning fast start he had to his year this year, whereas point production in the KHL this season almost matches what he did in junior the previous season. It uh, actually I, is double what he, and that's what I was going to ask you. It is at this rate, it is double what it was last year in the MHL. Where does offense like that even come from? Yeah, I think I was looking it up the other day. I think he was like second or third on his MHL team in terms of like among defensemen in power play time last season on a per game basis. And then all of a sudden, the next year, the, within the same MHL organization, he's now running the second power play for that same KHL team. So obviously they saw something in camp to make them think, oh, this guy's offense is now all of a sudden legit or maybe not legit. I think that is still a minor question with Saliva. Is it going to be elite, elite offense? Right. Uh, but I think it's still good enough to go with all those other desirable traits that he has. Uh, and when you watch him, he looks like he can move. It's not, this is not like an aberration or a small sample size thing. He looks like he can move pucks. Again, I'm not saying it's the most elite 
offensive defenseman you're ever going to see. But he has good hands. He sees the ice well. He makes good decisions. Uh, I, I think the offense is legit in his game. So what you're saying is, you know, people, the natural comp, you, you mentioned a couple people are going to jump to Victor Hedman because of the height and the, the skating and the offense. Maybe pump the brakes there. But even without that kind of offense, people should understand it's an extremely valuable piece. This player type is almost impossible to find, even if it's not like mega, mega offense, even if it's just right. good offense. Right. But it's fair to say when you have a gigantic player like him who both skates well and provides offense, your your head goes to all of those top five picks you've seen in your lifetime, whether it is power, whether it is headman, whether it is uh, Zdeno Chara, or you know, or maybe he wasn't a top five pick, but he was a great player at that size, or maybe a guy like Chris Pronger. And I'm not sure I would go all the way there. Again, he's only done this for two months, but it's been an extremely impressive two months, and it's uh, impressive enough to where. If the draft happened today, you like, and you have to have a really serious conversation about it. And I know teams in the NHL talked to scouts and executives who said they would take him over Celebrini. That's not a majority opinion, but that opinion exists in the league, and, and it's hard to blame them when I when you see what the what player. I think it's is. kind of funny is that this year coming in, I think if you would have given like some NHL scouting directors a a, a choice, you tell me. Your pop-up prospect, what 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 position is he going to be? I don't know if this was the year they needed to vote for a defenseman, right? I think they're probably asking for a another stud center near the top of this draft class, which looks already so D-heavy in the top 10. Right, and I kind of thought coming into this season, this was a good defense group. And then as the season has gone on, it hasn't been, oh, there's been a lot of these great forwards that have kind of emerged. It's been, no, it's even been more defensemen who have kind of popped up. Yeah, I mentioned this a lot, but I think even Matvey Sharavin, who's playing minutes now with CSKA, has looked really good. I think some of those Canadian defensemen have looked very good this season. It is really a a truly impressive year of blue lotters following up a year where still at the end of the season, we got a couple of high blue line picks and they're very good prospects. Dmitry Shemeshev and Tom Willander. Uh, but I think right now this group looks like it has a chance to produce 12, 13, maybe even close to 15 first-round picks on defense if, if some guys' seasons go right and things play out in a certain way at the draft, which would be a significant change. What I think is interesting about the defensemen too is that we knew a couple years out even in some of these cases that there were – uh, there was talent on the way, right? We're thinking of an, of an Aaron Kiviharyu, of a Cole Hudson, of a Zeev Buyam, of a Zane Perrick uh, out of Saginaw, who are kind of the more classic, like smaller puck moving guys. There's some big boys who have really put their names on the map here. Uh, you're talking about your Sam Dickinsons, your uh, Carter Yakum Chucks, right? Like these guys have have come up and they are it's Charlie Ellick. 6-2, Adam Juracek, David Juracek's brother. Uh, there's some size to this decrap. Everyone I just mentioned, by the way, is in Corey's top 20. So it's a good year to need a defenseman. Um, and, and there's more too, right? I mean, you can go EJ Emery from the program, right? Like there, there's a bunch of these guys that have the size. Shirovin is 6-3 as well. I like Dominic Badinka in the check. He's a mobile 6-3 defenseman who's a point per game in the Swedish J20 league right now. Uh, and... History tends to show that teams are going to prefer those guys. Like I don't think Kivaharu or Cole Hudson are going to be among the first five or six defensemen picked in this draft. There are scouts who are not sure either of them will actually be a first-round pick when it's all said and done. I think Kivaharu will be a little different just because of his track record, but teams will prefer the 6'2", 6'3", guys who can skate and also provide offense. Yeah. 
Another thing I thought really stood out on, on this list uh, is obviously every year the last few years we've talked about this Russian factor and it, it seemed to hit a boil last year with Mitchkov. Maybe uh, this year, I'm, I'm curious, There's you mentioned Salayev and you mentioned, uh, I'm spacing on the other D who you just mentioned, Shravan. Um is it is it the Russian factor still a thing here? Because we are seeing it pop up again in some high places on your board. Right. And you also have the two locomotive kids last year in, in Boot and right. Sedeshev who both went to Arizona. Uh you no, know, there's a lot of good Russians this year. And I think there's there's good Russians every year. But what I think has been different now in the last two, three drafts specifically, is you used to see a lot of top Russians like your Andrei Sveshnikov or Ivan Provorov or, or Zadarov or Grigorenko. Those guys would come to North America and play here. So you wouldn't be as worried about the KHL contract variable as much. Uh, but since the war has started, uh, that they're all just staying home. So now you're seeing all the top Russian prospects in one place, all with that KHL variable. And, you know, some age groups are better than others. This is a strong age group. This is a very good Russian crop. You met, we've mentioned Salai, we've mentioned Sharovin, but Ivan Demidov was the MVP of the Russian Junior League yeah. the prior season. He's a dynamic scoring talent up front, one of the few true standout forward prospects in this draft. You have Nikita Artemanov, who is off to an incredible start in the KHL, something like 13 points in 25 games or something like that. He's... Same thing with Salayev on that torpedo team and playing a significant role on that torpedo team. You have Igor Chernyshov, who's a 6-2 forward with legit skill, who skates well. I mean, these are all legit pro prospects. Uh, and, and you know, as far as I can tell with this draft class, it's going to be hard to avoid the Russian question. Uh, you know, I In the last two drafts, you have seen teams uh, just say we're either not going to go there or our approach is going to be if it's close we're taking the other guy or or you know we have to be really squeezed to take the russian has to be you know the most clear and obvious choice i'm not sure like if you don't want to go russian that's your approach you can uh reach that conclusion however you want but that second approach i don't know if teams can afford to do that this season because if you take like you know russians off your board or more or less just say, if it's close to taking the other guy, it's like, well, frankly, like a third of the legit players in this draft look like they're Russians or Belarusians. Uh, you know, with Artem Lefshunov in Michigan State being the Belarusian. So I'm not sure teams can afford to avoid Russians in this year's draft. Uh, just because from what I can see, this is where the talent is. You know, it's not a great, it's a really bad age group actually for Sweden. It's just an okay age group for Finland. Uh, Czechs actually have some decent players, but there's no, unlike the past years, there's no like a ton of these German prospects in there. There's not a ton of great Swiss or Slovak players. So I, I think teams really do need to look serious at all of these top Russian prospects. Well, and, and to that end, my recollection from last year is I, I think a bigger point that maybe we gave credit to at, at some points in the lead up was it wasn't just like a well, they might not come. Part of it was we haven't been there to see them. We haven't scouted them as thoroughly. This year, that almost just feels like you're going to have to find a way to get there and scout them because, like you said, a third of the first round might be over there, right? Yeah, and a lot of teams are okay watching them on video and taking that approach. But for the ones who feel strongly like we need to see them live, it's like, okay, well, uh, there's games in 
uh, Belarus. There's going to be games in, in Ukraine. There are games in Kazakhstan that you can travel to that are not in Russia. Uh, I think teams are going to have to get more creative because the KHL is mostly in Russia, but they have kind of teams sprinkled in other countries uh, around that part of the world. So I think there's ways to see these players live, but it, it's going to take a little bit more effort. And, but it's just going to become an imperative, I think, is the bottom line. Like, like whereas last year it might have been making that effort for two or three, I guess three real like big time guys. This year we might be talking about eight or nine, and I think that tips the scales. I would think. Right, and it's different too because again, Budapest ever playing junior hockey yeah. exclusively last season, so they were not traveling as, as you know like KHL teams do. And Mishkov was just hard to find at ties because he was injured and then he, had to, he got alone and it was a little bit more difficult. I think these guys are all playing predictable schedules on the unpredictable teams and uh, there are ways if teams need to see them live that they can go find a way to do that. But I think yeah. most will take the approach to watching them on video still. Yeah. Uh, one last guy I want to hit here. We talked about uh, Celebrini and Salaya. We haven't talked about Cole Iserman who came in as kind of the the core challenger to Celebrini. And really, to your point about Celebrini, hasn't cost himself any ground. I don't think Cole Iserman's done anything to cost himself any ground here either. Yeah, I, it feels like every game he's a multi-goal threat. And this is against college teams too. Uh, this isn't a great US NTDP team up front. Uh, I think they're, they obviously, James Hakens is a fantastic player, but the strength is more on their blue line. They have a lot of good forwards, I don't think they have a lot of great forwards outside of Hagens and Eiserman. Maybe some guys that'll be down the line of help. You guys, maybe some late birthdays like a Shane Van Saggy who could who could pop at a later date. But uh, but Eiserman has been really carrying this team's offense, particularly when Hagens got hurt. And you know his shot is as a dimensional threat. He has truly elite skill. I think some people will watch him. Especially if they'll see the, you know, he has like a three to one goal to assist ratio. I know there are some scouts who will watch him and like, and think, can you please pass the puck once at, once in a while? <laughs> uh, and 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 I, there are some times where he can look a little selfish in his game, uh, but I understand why he would because he is one of the purest goal scorers I've ever seen and with one of the best shots I've ever seen. And I don't uh, blame him sometimes for thinking that he is the best option to score the goal as opposed to trying to make the play. Uh, and I think in a lot of drafts, he would be in the number one overall conversation. And I think there's still a path for him to get the number one overall by the end of the season. You know, if we get to the end of the year and he has something stupid, like 85, 90 goals, I'm not saying he gets that number. Uh, the record's like something around 70 set by Cole Caulfield. But even if he's at 80, 85, let's say by the end of the year, if he's fully healthy. I think you have to think really, really hard about saying no to that player. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be back for our uh, mailbag to wrap it up. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, Corey, let's get into the mailbag here. Now, it's actually been a while since we did a mailbag, so uh, looking forward to this one. Started off with, with Logan Horn, who says, what would Salayev have to do over the course of the year in order for him to go first overall? Which is a great question because really it brings up what more could he be doing than what he's done so far? Well, I think kind of combines with the conversations we had in the previous segment together. I, the Russian variable still exists, especially when you are talking that high in the draft. You want to make sure that player is actually going to sign with you and be a part of your organization for a long time, playing an impact role. So I really think if it's close between Salayev and Celebrini, even if Salayev and Eisman, who I think there is a little bit of a gap there, personally, that's why I have Salayev over Eisman on my list, uh, that I think you will take the other guy. But if if Salaya will have to find a way to distinguish himself from Celebrini. And I think the major way that happens is if Celebrini falls off at all this season, which he could. He's off to an incredible start to his college season, but we'll see what happens when conference play starts and he starts getting into, into the into the real grind of the college season. And if he's still having you know a really nice year, but it's not like this Adam Fantilli, Jack Eichel-ish type of season in college – and Salayev is still doing what he's doing in the KHL, still putting up historic offensive numbers for a defenseman while being a really good two-way player at that size, then I think that could set up circumstances for him to go over Celebrini. Uh, one tack-on question here from Badelberg14, really getting to the heart of the issue, I think. If Salayev is the biggest defenseman in this draft, and maybe someday the NHL, what is stopping him from simply eating smaller defensemen and absorbing their skill? I guess the first answer would probably be, I think there probably is some kind of law there. Yeah, and I don't think he needs their skill, frankly. I think he's doing fine offensively on his own. Yeah, like he's, right. he's on a KHL power play. He doesn't need to be a cannibal to do that. That's right, yeah. So we'll just live and let live there, Badelberg. Uh, CJ Voster says, if the Blackhawks draft 2-5 to five next year, who's a prospect that might fit their rebuild? I mean, we've mentioned his name the entire podcast, essentially, but I do think a defenseman is the one of the main things they are missing right now. Like, I don't think, like, I think anybody keeps back on Celebrini. If they get Celebrini, that'd be great. If they don't get Celebrini, I think Cole Osmond is a fantastic player. Uh, I'm not sure how I love building a team around two smallish guys who always want the Shooters. puck and always want to shoot the puck uh, in between him and Bedard. Uh, so I'm really thinking of, can we get Salayev or can we get Artem Lashunov? 
Because Lashudov is a great player himself, was also playing huge minutes for Michigan State, and is looking very good as a draft eligible freshman in college. Uh, you know, 6'2", good skater, ton of skill and creativity. Uh, this is a guy who I think would be a PP1 option over Kevin Korchinski if they were on the same organization. So I think, you know, they have other, you know, really good defensemen in their system. But I think if you they I think they have more premium talent at forward coming up than they do at defense. I think this is more a lot of solid defense prospects and Korchinski. I'd like to get a little bit more uh, high end talent at that position. Yeah, Avco Cup uh, correctly anticipated the theme of our show today, but he does have a nice little offshoot question here. He says it looks like a D heavy draft with sixteen in your top thirty three, but it also looks like it's missing center depth. I only count six players you list as centers. How unusual is this sort of ratio for a draft class? Extremely unusual. I guess we kind of had the opposite last year, where it was very cent, you know, very forward heavy, not center heavy, but forward heavy compared to defense. And now this year, it's it's flipped. I guess that's just more a regression to the mean there in that regards. Even when you look at the guys who are quote unquote listed as centers, it opens the debate on whether they're actually going to be NHL centers uh, when they get there. Because you know, I think Celebrini is the only one where you can kind of pencil it in for sure, top two line center in the NHL. Then you get to Berkeley Cadden, who I think has a good chance. Because uh, he's such a great, he's one of the best skaters in the draft, and he competes well. But he is five eleven, size might push him to the wing at some point. Uh, I mean, you know, I think it's more 50-50, But I'd lean to him. He could be an NHL center. Uh, you have Caden Lindstrom, who I love, great player, playing center in junior, but he doesn't have great hockey sense. And when you kind of, what I've been searching for player comps for him, it's kind of the same thing I did with Charlie Stramel last year, where I think like Lindstrom is maybe Stramel with a little bit more natural offensive scoring touch. Uh, but I couldn't think of a center in the NHL who looked like Strammel, and I couldn't think of a center in the NHL quite who looks like Lindstrom. I, I, you know, so it opens up the possibility that he may be a wing. You get to Costa Hellenius, kind of the same thing with Cadden. He's 5'11", not an amazing skater like Cadden. He's more of a good skater. Uh, the believers will call him Braden Point. I'm not so sure I would go that far. So again, possibility he moves to the wing. Uh, Stasha Boisvert could be a center. You know, we'll see. He's got a chance. And Adam Jetcho, who we have listed as a center, I kind of, I think most scouts do believe he is an NHL winger. So uh, we'll see how the season goes if a new name or two or three emerges at that position. Uh, but right now, it does seem extremely light on that position. If you are an organization searching for that top six center of the future, uh, this may not be your draft class. All right. Uh, Liam Nolan says, are you surprised at all at how well Ridley Gregg is doing, currently leading rookies in scoring while also driving play? Is he a long-term top six guy? I mean, I'm I, a little bit, but, but not really too. I, I do really like Ridley Gregg. I think you got to love how hard he competes. He's a good skater. He's got really good skill. So it doesn't surprise me that he's having success as a pro, especially given the time he's had since the draft to develop. You know, this is about the time where he should be popping a little bit and starting to help the Senators. You know, whether he's going to lead rookies in scoring all season is something that I might push back on a little bit. I don't know if I I realistically expect that. But do I think he could be a really nice player, top nine, top six, four for a very long time for Ottawa? I do think that. I think he's, uh, you know, I think that whole draft with him and and Stutzel and Sanderson, it just looks ridiculous for them right now. And I think Clevin's going to play too. So I I think that, that, that whole age group can can really change uh, the Ottawa Senators' future. which And and they need some good news right now because they, they haven't had a lot of good news in the last week or two. Uh, Dawson Mercer comp there a little bit. He could be, kind of be their, their version of Dawson Mercer. 
yeah, maybe a little bit, a little small, a little bit better skater. And I should correct myself. I think the actual team has looked good. The, there's just been the off yeah, yeah. news. That, well, I, I know. What do you make of that, by the way? We just talked about it on the show yesterday. The team or the off the ice stuff? The fine, the, the first round, not the fine, the, the, the punishment, the forfeiting the first round pick over that. I, I really hate it. Like, I, I do think too. It's so, I think it's so stupid. I, I felt the same thing with Arizona when they did that with the, with the combine stuff. The guys who screwed up are Pierre Dorian and, and John Chica and, and their regimes. And they didn't get, you're not, you know, fining them. You're not suspended. You know, Chica got suspended, but it yeah. was more for uh, the contract issues he had with the owner, you know. So I think the, the penalties should go to the management groups who did something wrong. By taking away the first round pick, you're punishing the fans, basically. You're making their hockey team worse and they had nothing to do with it. So I think that's BS personally. Yep, I st- I'm right there with you. All right, on to the next one. Uh, Swashbuckler wants to know about Joshua Wah. Is he a first-line NHL player? He read your redraft piece, was surprised to, s- surprised to see him as a low first-round pick. He looks dynamic in the AHL. Uh, this is one of those well, – I'll, I'll let you answer here. Yeah, well, again, fantastic start. He's one of the leading scorers in the American League through the first few weekends. And you know, he's got a ton of skill, and his development continues to go very well since his draft, answering a lot of questions on his consistency and his compete – uh, and, and the offense has proven to be there, you know, at wherever he's gone now between the Qs and the World Juniors and now into the American League. A ton of skill, ton of hockey sense, legit score, not taking that away from him. I think the question is 6-0, mediocre skater, has that translate to the NHL? I'm not so sure it's first line. He has a lot of skill. I would push back on it being first line skill, especially with those physical traits. Um, could you argue him higher? Sure, especially with how good he's looked early on in the AHL, although we'll see how he keeps it up. All right. Uh, next one is from the Crushers, uh, who wants to know when you expect to see Lane Hudson to make an impact on the Canadians. All right. So back to back Montreal questions here. Yes. Uh, I, I well, it, I I just saw Lane uh, last week. I was I was out in Boston, and I do wonder about his defensive play still for the NHL. I think that would be, and that's not really surprising given his his frame. I think that's always going to be a question until it's not a question. Uh, but the offense is definitely uh, NHL level already. I mean, he's he's extremely dynamic whenever he gets the puck, and he's going to be a force at the college level this season, probably at the World Junior level, and maybe even the World Championship level again uh, throughout the rest of the season. Uh, you know, if you believe he's Adam Fox, which I am not quite there. I mean, not even saying he's going to be Adam Fox, but Adam Fox at the same age. Even if you think he's that level of prospect, you know, Fox took three years of college and then he went and did his leap to the NHL. So I'm guessing Lane will have to play either one more year of college as a junior at BU or go to the American League for a full season. And then they have to kind of make some determinations of what they're going to do with him. Because they also do have quite a few good young defensemen already in the organization. They have to figure out where Mayu fits. They're going to figure out where David Reinbacher fits. Um, so it'll be interesting. Uh, Andy in place says, have we seen enough to accurately assess the COVID draft? This is the 2020 draft. Was it really the toss-up? Or, or maybe it's the 21. I don't know which well, one he's really referring to. Well, probably well, the 21. Well, well, that's what I thought when I read this question yeah. is, what draft are you talking about? Are you talking about the draft that got cut off midway through the year? 
which was the 2020 draft. Are you talking about the 21 draft? I think it's got to be 21. That's where the mobility was the most limited in terms of scouting because the rest of the question but, continues. But, did but are you sure about? But are you sure about that? Because then you have the 22 draft, which was Matt Poitras' draft, where he didn't get a full 16 year old season, and that could have affected his development going into the OHL and his draft year. So which one of these is the COVID season? And when does COVID's effect stop, particularly in Canada, where it really impacted the Western League and especially the Ontario League? Yeah. So I think Fair. that, you know, you know, it's like, you know, was, you know, you look at guys like Wyatt Johnston, that's the easy one. He didn't play all season. You know, if he had played all year, would he have gone higher? I do think when you look at all of these drafts, it doesn't look like there's a ton of misses. There's not like compared to you know, most drafts. Of course, you're going to have guys who pop here or there. But I think Johnston in 21 and Poitra in 22 are the two most interesting cases because it affects Ontario and how limited hockey they played during the COVID period. I think those are the, but those are two examples and they would go a lot higher if we did those drafts right now. So so I think those are easy to spot up. I'm not seeing like 10 or 20 examples of players that were significantly misevaluated. Yeah. And I would add on to that. Neither of them is like a physical specimen, right? So it, it, it adds to that where they're not going to be the guy that you're going to say, well, no matter what, this guy's a six, three amazing skater. So we're going to take him in the 20, no matter what, right? Like, yeah, I t- yeah, exactly. I think, you know, I think those are guys that need to play a full season really in score a lot to justify to teams yeah. to take them with a much higher than they actually went. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last one for today. Dan wants to know your thoughts on Quinton Byfield's development this year. Has your opinion on him changed since draft day? Uh, well, it has, but I wouldn't say it's changed massively. At draft day, I thought he was the number two prospect in the draft. And I would not say that, or I wouldn't even say he's top five right now, but I don't think he's that far off five. And I think he's looked very good. I think the role they have him now in Los Angeles has allowed him to succeed because he doesn't have to be the guy, but he's able to use his size and his speed and his compete. And he makes enough plays to where I think he can have a really significant impact in a lineup. You know, he's got something like six points in nine games right now. Does he keep that up all year? I don't know. Maybe he's 40, 50, 55 point guy when it's all said and done this season, presuming he stays healthy. But I think with if he has that level of offense and he's that big and that fast, uh, I still think you get a heck of a player. Are you getting a superstar? Is he going to compete with Tim Stutzel? Uh, very likely no. But can he be a really important part of your team for a very long time? I think there's a good chance. But I think the big question with Byfield is, does he ever move back to center or not? We were just talking about some other players early in, in, in this segment. Yeah. You know, is this 5'11 guy going to be a center? Is this guy you know who isn't the smartest player in the world going to be a center? But you have Quinton Byfield, who is far better than all of those guys. And he can't find a center spot in the NHL right now. It shows that it's not always that easy. Great stuff. Uh, Thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. You can follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the Athletic Hockey Show. We're going to be live streaming at least three episodes a week, plus putting up a bunch of other content. No show for us next week on Friday. I'll be busy trying to coax Corey onto the dance floor at my wedding. But rest assured, we will talk to you soon.